0: Hey, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Black Swamp Percussion and Dynamic Snare Drum. So if you go to blackswamp.com backslash mdpromo, you can enter to win a unique, uh, I think it's a custom peanut butter cup finish backbeat series dynamic snare drum which is a a 6.5 by 14 it's an ebony veneer with a zebra wood inlay it's gorgeous go to blackswamp.com backslash md promo to enter it'll also be in the show notes and linked on our website the entry deadline is monday the 18th so you have 10 days to enter to win this beautiful snare drum they're going to be drawing the winner on the 19th so again go to blackswamp.com Backslash MD promo. Check out the custom peanut butter cup backbeat snare drum that our friends at Dynamics are giving away. Let's get the show rolling.
1: Woo! Buddy, how are you, man? Still chilling on Peter's groove. How about that? Oh, it's good stuff. I love it. Seriously, our our audience is so incredible. Uh, It's annoying sometimes when they're playing better intro grooves than you or I could,
0: but for the most part, it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Well, I'm really impressed with the fact that uh, some folks are taking the production level up and adding band clips and things. I I dig it.
1: Really we, don't need cool. the, we
0: don't need to write our own theme music. We've got such a great listener base.
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, now we're at a point where I wouldn't be able to choose. You know, it would be it would be kind of fun, though, to have a little... What do we have? got the uh, March Madness coming up. So if we did a, a 64, 64 best intros and then just whittled it down to a final four and then let our audience choose our but then we lose the hmm. intro and outro grooves and I, we can't do that <laughs> by the way I know it sounds like I've been out on a bender all night right before this podcast I had like this massive sneezing attack and it's and now I'm just stuck I'm stuck in this like raspy Ford F-150 Chevy Silverado <laughs> voice and I can't get out of it Marlboro <laughs> man yeah I gotta go do a, a gig with Sam Elliott Uh, So anyways, what's new with you, man? Or do we get to learn about the intro groove? Yeah,
0: so Peter sent that in uh, based on last week's discussion about four on the floor grooves. And that is basically an example of a four on the floor song that is from his band, um, White Days Band. And he recorded on a Yamaha Recording Custom Kit. Sounds great. That's one of the good ones from the early 90s. Ludwig Black Beauty Snare. Uh, Mino and Istanbul AGAP cymbals and some different EV or different mics with an EV RE20 is, I guess, is the bass drum mic, that big broadcasting mic. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Good so- stuff.
1: Peter's an amazing person, too. He's been to camp. Uh, I've spent time with him. I think he was at the UK drum show. I think I saw him there. Uh, but, uh, one of my favorite people in the world. He's just a good, good dude. And one of those people that, Maybe our podcast didn't have much to do with it. Maybe it did, I don't know, but he quit his job that Uh was a high-paying, legit, I-have-a-suit-and-a-job-to-be-a-drummer-full-time-and-he's-killing-it. Oh, biggest mistake of your life, Peter. No, (laughs) no! Chase your dreams, brother! chase your dreams please because i'm the one that told you to do it so please please be successful i don't need that email coming back i'm kidding chase your dreams live the dream don't listen to it
0: he's on the east coast he thinks everyone should just just give up i mean we're at that end of winter malaise right now where it's okay it's like, come on, just melt already! For love of God! So every, everyone's depressed. It's just the whole, the whole coast is just depressed. So, if I'm a little down well, today. It's... We're we're happy because of the bad
1: weather because we're getting tons and tons of rain. I mean, not happy for mudslides and flooding, but yeah. we are happy that we won't have to be. You know, I don't know what it's like on the East Coast for going to restaurants, but we had a good two-year period where they didn't bring water to your table at restaurants. You had to ask for water because of the drought and so no that's it's strange yeah it was so it's a good sign when they just come on out with it and leave a picture on your table it's like (laughs) yeah we must we must be doing good overflowing
0: so amazing what's new in your world bud what's new in my world i don't even know at this point i've I've been in such a um so much gear coming in and out i just just demoed that um you probably saw the drum at nam dial tune yeah Uh, which has like two big knobs on the shell that it's a cable system that tunes the drum and there's two big knobs one for the batter head and one for the bottom head i just did a a real-time demo where i went from as high as it could possibly go to as low as it could possibly go while not stopping the beat like i just play a beat and then go move my right hand down and change the tension wow we'll come back to it later when we actually review it but it works and it sounds really freaking good I was going to say, if it didn't work, we wouldn't be talking about it. So. Yeah, yeah. It didn't break uh, the cables. I mean, no, it feels real sturdy. I mean, I was able to get it as high as I would with just regular tension rods. So there was no now issue Now, is with it
1: that. something that only comes as the, the drum that it is, or
0: is it a system to put on your drum? That, I think, is in the works. I can't speak okay. to that. It's a patent pending. I think they're still gotcha. prototype, but it's a drum at the moment. I believe they're selling it as a snare drum thing. But in the future, I'm sure it'll be an upgrade option for other stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Neat.
1: Well, I'm getting ready. I've got my How to Make Better
0: Videos camp starting
1: tonight. Sweet. Orientation is tonight. So excited about that. Excited for the guys for Adobe to get here. That's is their really first
0: cool. camp of the year. Is yeah, like an but early I mean, one.
1: Yeah, it's early just because it's the specific... And it's only a two-day camp. So mm-hmm. it'll be all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and then they go home on Monday, and then Adobe will stay here for a third... for Monday as well, and that's when we'll do all of my interview and video stuff with them because they're making a video on this whole process. Nice. and uh, So it should be good. And check this out. The camp... Y'all didn't sign... For any of you that didn't sign up, quick. You missed out because the camp was $350. Hey. Adobe gave everyone in the camp a year of Creative Cloud for free, which is $50 per month. So oh, wow. they all, if my math is right, they got a $600 value uh, of Photoshop, Lightroom, nice. Adobe Premiere, Adobe Rush. So they made out good. That's, uh, I had yeah. to send a separate email and be like, yo, I'm hosting the camp. Can I, can I get like $5 off? They hooked me up as well. All is good. So you got and ripped off this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm most excited about the fact that there's an actual Hollywood film crew coming in to film this whole thing and to make a documentary out of it uh, for Adobe's website. And I get to learn from them. That's going to be awesome to just, I'll be teaching the camp while also learning at the same time. Yeah, so I mean, it how, be really much, cool. how much within that program do you think you've left untouched at this point? Inside Adobe? Yeah. Uh, let's say if we're just talking Adobe Premiere, since that's the one I work with the most, I'd say quite a bit. Almost every time that I find another uh, Premiere tutorial on, on YouTube, I find a lot of it's shortcuts. Mm-hmm. What I find is that I'm doing everything it can do. I'm just doing it the, the long way around. Right. And then... Uh, so that 's one thing uh, I mean you know going from applying effects and color corrections straight to my clip and moving to adjustment layers that was a big deal that i didn 't understand how much wasted time I was going through making adjustments on the actual clip of footage, the actual footage. And then going back after 26 cuts and deciding I wish the whole thing was a little bit different, Mm -hmm. and then applying that color correction to 26 individual clips, where if I would have just been using adjustment layers, it would be this layer of effects and color correction on top of all 26 cut-up clips that I could just... Affect that one layer, and then all twenty six cuts get that same effect. So
0: I'm making uh, just things like that. That's definitely a mistake of mine. And I think Final Cut has to have a similar function, but I can't find the way to do that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean,
1: probably the easiest thing to do is just type adjustment layers in Final Cut Pro into you know Google. But uh, that that's the kind of stuff that I really love finding. Is like okay, so. When I'm sometimes thinking, when I look at like some of the guys that are guys and girls that are actual YouTube content creators where that's all they do, and sometimes they'll put a screenshot of their footage up and I'm looking at like the thousands of clips that they're editing Mm -hmm. for their vlog. I'm just thinking how, I don't understand how your workflow could be so efficient that that could get done in a day, let alone Mm -hmm. a week. And then when I learn some of their techniques, that's when I figure out, okay. And it's, it's so funny how analogous it is to drumming where you see somebody's, you know, uh double strokes at two hundred and forty beats per minute. And you think, How is that possible? And then you see Jojo's hands and you go, Oh, he's just doing it a lot more efficiently than I am. Mm-hmm. And so it's really similar. So I'm excited for that. Cool. Uh, and it'll be great, too, to have some people here that aren't drummers. We've got a professional trumpet player coming in. uh Neat. One of the girls coming in. I can't remember what. I think she might be a dancer. But these are people that just want to make better videos and make better and, and brand themselves better on the social media outlets they have available to them. So it That's should be cool. That's super
0: cool. I'm glad you're doing that.
1: That's very cool. Yeah. I'll let you know if I learn anything fancy from from the pros that are coming in. Um, All right, so are we jumping straight into education?
0: Are we going straight so. to five of diddles? I don't know if I have anything else to talk about. I mean, I'm, I'm a little discombobulated because I'm literally cleaning out my office right now, like getting rid of 15 years of cassette tapes and stuff, so I feel like I can't even discuss anything at the moment. Well, at
1: least everyone <laughs> that was subscribed to this podcast under 25 just canceled. <laughs> cassette tapes? Bro, cassette what are you tapes? talking
0: about? Well, I have like 15 years of interviews on cassette tape because we, wow. we used to have those like... Uh, tape machines that would hook right up to the phone line
1: oh, so you okay. could just
0: record straight from the phone you wouldn't have to speakerphone it or anything so I mean wow. I found like some crazy stuff even stuff I did in grad school I interviewed Bob Crenshaw the bass player when, when I was in Philly and he passed away so that one I'm keeping I'm like all right that that's kind of historic That's cool, man That's okay.
1: actually really cool yeah. Awesome Alright, well let's get into it We've got a lot of stuff coming up today, guys We're going to do some education And get into quintuplets and paradiddles And mixing paradiddles into your quintuplets We're going to talk about Josh Dion He is our featured artist And if you don't know Josh or don't know about Josh This will blow your mind We're going to check out uh, some, a kit from the British Drum Company And we've got a really cool giveaway coming up So
0: let's get into the education Five-a-diddles I have a diddles. This is an article by um, Jason Brinkworth up in uh, Canada. Great drummer. And he's been writing for us over the years. And this is a sort of simple way to, to get into the world of quintuplets. So what he's doing is he's phrasing them with basically starting the quintuplet with a double. So right, right, left, right, left would be the first sticking. And then applying that to... He's creating like fills and kind of grooves just using that sticking and variations of that sticking. But that's the the idea is one double and three singles and then using that as your your new rudiment instead of one double and two singles, which would be a paradiddle. Right. And I think that that is a
1: great way to get into this because it gives you a reset point. When you do quintuplets just as single strokes, sometimes your hands just want to go to the two subdivisions that bookend the quintuplet. It, mm-hmm. They either want to do groupings of four or groupings of six. and But you always want to land on your right. And then when you're doing single strokes, you just kind of sometimes forget to hit that left accent on the downbeat of two and the downbeat of four. With this... Or with any quintuplet or grouping of five sticking pattern, there's this loop that happens that you know you have that double stroke followed by three singles and then a double stroke again. So there is a reset point in that. I think the key to all of this before you guys even start, though, is if you cannot put on a metronome and sing the subdivision of quintuplets, groupings of five evenly spaced, you're going to have a really hard time doing this, especially when you get into number two, where he's taking you from the standard paradiddle into the quintuplets. So my recommendation for you is figure out how you're going to count quintuplets. Excuse me, If you want to do the thing where you say a word, David Letterman, David Letterman, hippopotamus, hippopotamus, that's fine. I usually just tack on the syllable guh, to my sixteenth notes. So on number two, he's got you doing standard sixteenth note paradiddles into his uh, what does he call them? The uh, the five a Five-a-diddle. So I would just get used to counting one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e and a two e and just get used to going back and forth because if you're at say eighty BPM, adding only one note tier subdivision is really tough to feel when you make the jump from say eighth notes to 16th notes and you double time it you can feel that pretty easy but this is quite a bit tougher what is the, the syllables you were saying to use the i just add guh to the end of 16th notes so one e and a guh two e and a guh three e and a guh four e
0: and a guh okay this reminds me last was it last week we were talking about counting 16th note triplets was that last week or a couple weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, and we were, I was saying that I count eighth-note triplets twice, one yeah. into one, into two, into so two. So into... one of our listeners, Evan, he sent a message saying that he uses celery, celery, celery. That's, yeah. his, that's his approach to 16th-note triplets. I've never done the word thing, the word association, but celery seems to be pretty easy to say, so that might work. Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, I think Benny's is radio. radio Any of radio. this yeah. Radio, radio. And then for sevens, he has, listened to the radio, listen to the radio. So I, I, I can't do it, because it makes me I play c- a certain accent.
0: Ticka, 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 ticka,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I... I, I I, I think they're fine for feeling a subdivision in the very beginning, especially when you're shaky, if you're, go, if you're making that transition. You know, a lot of times, the hardest part isn't playing this stuff. And if I put on a click and just told you, eventually, can you please play five notes evenly spaced per pulse? Eventually, you get it. <laughs> yeah. What the hard part is playing eighth note triplets and saying, now transition into quintuplets. You have to subdivide. You have to pre-subdivide as you're going one and uh, two and, uh, and you're going, what the hell do five. Sound like <laughs> and, then, and then you rush it, then you pull it back, and you tightrope the whole damn thing. I think I just count it. I think I just say one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one. I, and I that, just say the numbers totally. And, you know, and uh, I remember. It, when I was much younger, when I would have to do septuplets, I would I would literally just sing uh, Tom Sawyer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I would sing that in my head right before I had to make the jump to quintuplets. But just like you said, I had to then immediately, once I was established in that new subdivision, get out of singing that because that makes me go... Yeah, <laughs> go, yeah exactly. So, yeah. So I think that whatever works for somebody is fine. The only reason I like teaching my students... The syllable of guh is it still allows them to have a number because yeah. if you just keep playing quintuplets over and over you might get lost so having that is a good place to go then once you can feel quintuplets and feel the transition between 16th notes and quintuplets one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a guh one once you can feel that then
0: you can start on this lesson and start working on your sticking patterns I have something that I was thinking about when I looked at this in the early stages that I think I used to practice, um, mainly relating to some of the African drumming I did, where we would often elongate phrases so they became fives, even though they weren't supposed to be. Oh. So to do his sticking, right, right, left, right, left, that's the the five. Right. Right. Uh, I would practice it as sixteenth notes and diddling the first note Beautiful. <laughs> so they yeah. go from strict kind of rudimental style to just every note's the same space, which Love is it. something I did with a bell pattern we would often do when one this African bell pattern where it just ended up sounding like fives, but it was really like dum, 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 dum. That's really cool. This might be something to try. It might make it more difficult, but that's a good way for me to think of the double is on the downbeat. Yeah, I'm tapping it out. I love it. I love it. That's, <laughs> that's, a, a, that's
1: a great idea. Yeah. No, I think that would be awesome. And then once you get that down, then he's got the paradiddle part of this or the diddle part cycling through different places uh number two of exercise one uh, option two is to have right then two lefts and then right left so the the diddle then is on the second third note uh and then he's just cycling through that stuff so i think being able to play quintuplets to a pulse very cool and very important uh i don't think you and i have talked a lot about how we don't really use quintuplets in our playing that I don't ever want that to get confused as you and I haven't practiced them to a pulse. Mm -hmm. I absolutely have that on my uh, radar, especially because if someone else does it, I want to be aware of it. I don't want to yell at them and be like, dude, you're seriously shoving too many notes into that. And they're like, yeah, they're called quintuplets, dude. (laughs) And then I look like the idiot. (laughs) I want to be able to recognize it when someone else does it. Yeah, Um, I still personally, and I'm actually going to do a YouTube lesson on it today. But I still use fives for the most part in 16th notes, I use them all the time. They're probably Mm. one of my favorite groupings. And I'm doing a a lesson today for YouTube on implied metric modulation using right, left, right, right, left as a metric modulation. If you give it a backbeat, doom, doom, dot, doom, 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 dot, doom. And so it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. But it's kicked tune, um, snare tune, um, but it's feeling it as 16th notes. Oh, so okay. 1, E, and a, 2, E, and a, 3, E, and a, 4, E, and a, 1, E, and a, 2, E, and a, 3, E, and a, 4, E. So it has that feel to it. Nice. So you can get so much use out of this stuff. A lot of times when you're learning a lesson like this, what you personally will get out of it might be
0: very different than what the author intended yeah for me this stuff has always been uh pulse control can i can maintain a steady quarter note pulse while going into these uncomfortable subdivisions that's been the greatest benefit every time i have worked on the gary Chafee's stuff it's all been about can i maintain a quarter note while i'm shifting between subdivisions that are familiar and unfamiliar and stickings that are simple stickings that are more dense right no i agree
1: absolutely well like i said Start this stuff, and if you feel like, okay, I'm a little lost on this, check out Mike's mikeslessons.com or get your Patreon account for Mike Dawson. Brought to you by (laughs) no one. Okay, let's get into some good stuff. Anyways, that was by Jason Brinkworth, and it is a fantastic lesson, so check him out as well. All right, we're going to get into our featured artist. Now, our featured artist, Mr. Josh Dion, is someone that I became familiar with in kind of a weird way. I was speaking to Mark Juliana probably four or five years ago and letting him know that I was uh, I was getting ready to go to do this festival in Spain with Dennis Chambers and Russ Miller and a few others, mm-hmm. and I mentioned Josh Dion was on it, and all I got in response from Mark after saying all these big names was, Josh is a beast, yeah. and I just thought, <laughs> okay. Now, in, in four years ago terminology, when you're not speaking to a jazz legend— Blah 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 is a beast means that he can chop it up. Uh-huh. I was not prepared for what level of beast Mark was referring to. <laughs> right, this right. is one of the most musical human beings I've ever encountered, and I was just shocked. And then eventually, and then I got to meet him there. He went to school at William Patterson with my good friend Tim Metz as well as Mark Juliana, so they all knew each other really well. And I got to spend time with Josh and thought he was just an incredible person. But I was blown away by his
0: musicality, obviously, with his voice and on the kit. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. His current gig is Paris Monster, which we have a feature story in the April issue, kind of all about that. So if you only know Josh from his current thing, it's the one-man band kind of idea, playing drums and keyboards and singing. And he's got a a bass player with him, right? He does, yes. Yeah. So you might think, okay, that's what he's been doing his whole life. Like, that's his thing. But the first time I saw Josh was probably, it was before Modern Drummer. I was playing a, um, like, a showcase, like a record label showcase at the bitter end. And it was all just songwriters coming. I I came up with a guy from D.C. We were, like, the opening act, and Josh was the closing act. He played played piano and sang. He didn't even play drums. He just killed it, and and it was just... Obviously, he was the star of the night. Like, he just killed it. Sounded kind of like uh, Gavin DeGraw or something like that, that kind mm-hmm. of vibe. So f- then I found out, oh, yeah, he plays drums with Gavin DeGraw. I'm like, nah, he can't be. And he, he must be playing drums with Gavin DeGraw because he can sing backups or something. Right. <laughs> I had no he idea. Can't, you can't, can't really sing play. that good
1: and, and actually be, like, a drummer. Right. You can play <laughs> drums, you know, uh, but you're not a drummer. Like, you can't, but... Yeah. But the, the wrong a beast. we yeah, are he is a beast <laughs> he is a beast yes uh so yeah mark redefined my terminology and my now my definition for beast is can you sing to a level where you would win the voice no problem yeah while also headlining the modern drummer festival 2025 <laughs> right. get ready guys it's making a comeback uh and yes he could do all those so before we go on too much about josh you want to take a listen real quick
0: yeah, so this is something I pulled from, uh, uh, what's the song called? It's called Ape. It's from his, it's Paris Monster. It's Old uh, symbols flew him down to the studio. So this is like a live in the studio performance. Check out a bit of it.
1: Okay, now for the people that are just hearing about Josh for the first time, that keyboard stuff you're hearing, that's him while he's
0: playing the drums, while he's singing. This is not being overdubbed. Yeah, right-hand keyboard, bass, left-hand drum kit, and vocals.
1: <laughs> it, you know, I've never thought this about him before, but just listening to that track, because I've, I've played two festivals with him now. Uh, <clears throat> oddly, I think both were in Spain. Uh, but anyways, uh, I've I've played t- with him twice. Oh, no. And then uh, the UK drum show. He was on that as well. And I've never thought this, but just now listening to that, it gave me like an aggressive Talking Heads vibe. Oh, interesting. You know, like I have... Have you ever seen the live concert that Talking Heads did that was all shot on actual film? Yeah. For, it was made for the movie theaters. Yeah. They're like <laughs> high out of their mind. <laughs> they are. But... Th- david is going so hard on that stuff when you watch like burning down the house Mm -hmm. it's not the acoustic version to me they're going in yeah and i i kind of get this like maybe because of the tones of the keyboard and the bass in this particular song there's almost like this 80s vibe the tempo is very 80s but it's like it's it's when those guys from the 80s were like "No, no no we're going all the way in so really cool stuff i mean but his his voice is so incredibly
0: soulful yeah, I mean it's he's got he's kind of got too many too many skills, right?
1: <laughs> we need to, well, we
0: need to get I'm sure riddle. he has <laughs> an appropriate amount of skills for him.
1: We're just not as talented.
0: <laughs> his kit is pretty neat. So if you look yeah. in the issue, he's he's basically has a four piece kit with a keyboard right where you would put like a, a cowbell or like a low ride cymbal. So that's that's how he's managing that. But check out his hi hat stand. It's, it's Crooked. It's like, oh my gosh. It's it's completely 90 degrees from his bass player. Our bass pedal. So he, and this is, I know, is confirmed because I've seen it, he keeps his foot on the floor and and comes on the side of the pedal for whatever reason. I never asked him, but interesting. I'm not sure where that comes from. Who knows? (laughs) I mean,
1: and even watching him play, it's so hard to explain his technique because it just. Is void of technique, but it in itself is a technique, and it gets the sound he's going for. I I don't know how to explain because I wonder how he practices. Because when you see him play, it's complete. Close my eyes, and I'm going, I'm going art 100. Yeah. If if I hit the rim, I hit the rim. If I miss a symbol, I miss a symbol. Who cares? But it's it's quite incredible to watch, and then the sound he gets out of his drums. That's the thing. that The stuff you guys just heard, that sound was his drum set. It sounds like that when he plays it. I've been yeah. feet away from it. And it's, you're thinking, like, that's got to be triggers. And uh, it, it's pretty amazing. I, I will say this. When I, I put out a video of Josh playing at that festival I did in Spain with him, and I think it was kind of like the call to attention to – because first video I've ever put out of somebody else that got like a million views. Mm. And uh, I was like, whoa which my videos got that many views and, uh, <laughs> but despite my jealousy, I moved forward and I immediately got a call from Minor symbols and they, and Chris over there said, this guy has to be a minor artist. And when he says that he's not talking about business at all, he's saying that dude's style is what we, that that's why we make symbols the way we make them. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be with us. And, uh, and Josh in typical Josh form, It couldn't care less about endorsements, you know. I mean, he's very loyal to his companies, but that's he's not doing this to hopefully get you know a new drumstick endorsement. He's like, whatever. You got (laughs) wood
0: ones, cool.
1: Like I, I, I got don't two think of them. I can. only need one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll just take a mallet <laughs> and a stick. What size? Wood, preferably.
0: But now if here, you not, whatever. Slightly off topic, but on topic. I've been thinking about this. Do you think that this this trend towards one man band kind of stuff is a result of just the economics of the music industry, or is there some kind of a creative catalyst? Because he's doing it. Uh, Nate Anthony parks has been doing it forever. Nate Wood's been doing it and I'm seeing more and more people try to play. I mean, Elon Rubin, great drummer, but he's also, I think largely in nine inch nails because he can come up front and play guitar and keyboards as well. Right. Like they don't need to hire the extra personnel.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think the reason for this is that this has always been there. We just didn't have access to it. I mean, really without some social media breaks, we wouldn't be talking about Josh Dion right now. He would just be doing it, and, and maybe you would because you live on the same coast as him, and maybe you might see it, mm. but it it just wouldn't be in our face. But now we need, we crave the video to show to our friends of something that none of us can do. So when we find Josh or D'Antoni Parks, we want to show it to everybody. Or when we find uh, uh, Anderson Park, and it's mm-hmm. like he's singing and playing drums, <laughs> yeah. but doing them both really well. That's the thing is we are used to seeing a drummer sing sometimes or a singer play drums, but you can tell one of them is more important in their life than the other. Yeah. It's, it's really special when you can tell that they're equally as important to that person. Yeah. it's kind of um, a throwback
0: to your boy, Phil Collins.
1: Yeah. And I think it, after that, cause I remember being a kid and telling people like, you know, that Phil was my idol And then they would show me other drummers, and I don't want to name any names, but lead singer drummers. And I was like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. That guy clearly does not play the drums the way that Phil learned how to play the drums or that Josh did. Like That guy's just keeping time while singing really well. That's totally different than what what I grew up listening to. But Josh (laughs) takes the Phil thing way to a different level because Josh could easily easily have a great touring recording career as just a blues, pop, rock singer. Yeah, easily. I agree. No problem. Um, I bet he's quite that? an... <laughs> I, well, no, I mean, I wonder if he's an enigma for A&Rs of labels that are like, we would like to just sign you to sing, don't play drums. And then yeah. he would be like, yeah, screw you. I'm not crushing my soul for that. I do this. and th- And the thing is... If some, I guess, if our industry was just a little riskier, the Paris Monster stuff's amazingly catchy. I mean, it's not like he's out there just playing spaz jazz. Is yeah. that a thing? Spaz jazz. <laughs> I mean, it's it's awesome to listen to what he's doing. It, I have the, the Paris Monster album. I you know, I enjoy their well, music. Yeah, quite I a think
0: bit. It, when you listen to it, you don't know what's going on. You think it's just a really good funk soul yeah. band, and then you yeah. realize, oh, he's doing three fourths of the work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's
1: pretty incredible. So, I mean, I hope that all of you guys will check out Josh. You can find lots of his clips, especially with Paris Monster. And seeing the full project, him and his bass player, is is pretty cool. It is a fuller sound. Like I said, I got to see them. The first time I saw Josh, it was him by himself. And then this, uh, the second two times I played with him, uh, he had his bass player with him. And so it, it is a fuller sound, and it's a, it's a really cool thing. And then he has someone to interact
0: with because they definitely feed off of each other. So. And the album is called Lamplight. One word. Lamplight. And Paris Monster is Paris underscore monster, if you're looking for it. Get into it. He's amazing. All I think right. it's time to give away a snare drum. It is. Well, we're man. not going to give it away, but we're at least <laughs> going to bring it up. <laughs> so our good friends at Black Swap... Black Swak. Yep. Mm, goodness gracious. Is it Friday? So our good friends at Black Swamp who also have the company Dynamic Snare Drums. We've reviewed them a few episodes back. They are going to give away a snare drum. Um, Don't let my trip of the tongue confuse you. So you need to go to blackswamp.com backslash promo. That's the entry form. That'll be in the show notes. It'll also be on the Modern Drummer website for this episode of the podcast. So there's no excuse for you not to find it and enter. But again, it is blackswamp.com backslash promo. And what they are giving away is a 65 by 14 backbeat series drum with a unique ebony veneer and a zebra wood inlay, which they're calling the peanut butter cup. Finish. it pretty much looks like a peanut butter cup this yeah. thing is gorgeous it's gorgeous and i remember playing the backbeat snare i think that's the maple ply drum it was it for me it was like that's the one drum you could do anything with and it's not you know it's you don't have to be super precious about it either it's like a workhorse drum so it's a 6 by 14 backbeat series peanut butter cup snare drum go to blackswamp.com backslash md promo and you have uh, until monday the 18th to enter and then they will draw a winner on the 19th and I believe on that page the promo page you, there's some other terms like you have to follow them on Instagram in order to be entered into the thing so just go to that website blackswamp.com backslash md promo enter the win a dynamics snare drum
1: this thing's gorgeous man I'm quite jealous that I'm not up for the winning but to all of you guys at dynamics if you just want to send one out for me to test for the next six years <laughs> fired off in the mail i'll pay for shipping all is good by the way speaking of shipping and snares and whatnot uh i'm going to just officially announce it stave drums are the bomb
0: oh yeah which one did you decide on let me guess well you had did you have walnut cedar and poplar Poplar. yeah i'm gonna guess cedar
1: that was the one that i was blown away yeah I I I literally called him. That was the first one I played. So the other two were boxed up. I called Jefferson. I was like, "What is this yellow wood?" He's like, "I'm not telling you. We're calling it yellow." <laughs> but because it was a clear coat, it was kind of easy to guess. I was like, "This yeah. is either pine or cedar." Yeah. Um, and I've never and he, he Jefferson said this as well. He's like, "That's the only species that will do what you're freaking out about." It literally had built-in compression. Yeah. It had a tone, and then as I hit it harder, it kept changing the the smack. Like it got more and more smack. It was the coolest thing ever. But what, everything that I disliked about stave drums, I think a lot of it was just that I'd played kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but almost non craftsman staves. Just 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 like these are staves. Big old chunks of wood, yeah. And the thing is, everything that I did love about those drums was present on all three woods. Mm -hmm. Uh, my biggest critique of staves was always that I didn't think they sounded very good at low volumes. All three of his sounded fantastic. That's I think more a credit to his craftsmanship than stave drums themselves. The other thing is he, because he's a master craftsman and I would throw John at cherry hill into the mix as well with this, the stave drum is as thin or close to as thin as a plied shell. The mm-hmm. ones that I'd played in the past were nowhere near that. So I would expect that 50-ply OCDP back in the day right, yeah. to have the same thing about it that I hate about stave drums. <laughs> so, so yeah. So it was a real eye-opener for sure. He's making me his own drum. I still don't know what it's made of. All he told me was, I just spent a boatload of money on a piece of wood for you. <laughs> and, I, and, he, and then he said, I don't think you deserve it. <laughs> Now, just to be clear, everyone, I am paying for this drum. I hired him. to. So I was, it was like, but did you really spend a lot of money? Because kind of I spent a lot of money. And <laughs> there's a specific number I'm trying to stay under, but whatever. It is what it is. I set aside the money. I wanted this here for the campers. But I will say this. A stave drum made by a master craftsman is as sensitive as any ply drum
0: I've ever played. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the definitive sugar percussion sound is that cedar That's what I think of. If I think of what his sound is, it's that cedar. It's kind of like a buttery, I think he describes it as doughy, like a doughy kind of feel or something. Yeah. It it was just wonderful. The other thing that
1: all three of his drums had that was very noticeable was the, the playability, the way they felt. Your sticks literally leapt off the head. Yeah. No matter what tuning you're at, it was it was really cool. So really excited, and I'll, I'll keep you guys posted as, as that gets closer and closer to being finished. This has nothing to do with you know the future of my signature snare. Everything's good with Gretsch; they know what's going on. This snare is, and and Jefferson knows this as well. I said the reason I'm paying for this is I'm not. This isn't like my snare that I'll be playing all the time. If it was, I probably would have wanted to be comped or you know huge discount. But it's like no, this is I'm buying this because I want my campers to have accessibility to a, a very good stave drum. So that's what this is all about. All right, now from that drum to some other amazing drums and a company that I want to know more about because I'm completely intrigued. The British Drum Company. We are checking out the Lounge Series drum set. And from the audio example that I heard, and you said this wasn't you playing it? No, this is my good buddy Steve Bidwell down in Austin, Texas. Okay. From the audio example, this was, I mean... I don't know how to explain it, but it seemed extremely, extremely vintage sounding yeah. on a br- like it was so incredibly warm and just it seemed like this thing had been sitting in somebody's studio for the last thirty or forty years.
0: It was yeah. brand new. Yeah, and I think that's the vibe. And this, this is the lounge series that they're making, which it look has got like an antique kind of uh, pearl finish. So it, it's definitely going for that vibe. Right. Um, it is a. It is actually a British company. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> the, head, the head builder, Keith, uh, I believe he worked at Premiere for a while. So there's some connection oh, cool. with Premiere. Um, this is... What have we got size-wise? This this kit is a 5.5x14 snare. The toms are 8x12 and 16x16. 16 16, and it's a classic 14x22 bass drum. So it's all classic sizes and everything. Um, what else? So the shell is interesting. It is... Nine plies that alternate between mahogany and Scandinavian birch. Wow. Which is interesting. I think of that being... It is, being, because, I mean, really,
1: you're, you're, you're usually trying to choose sound-wise between something like a mahogany or something like a birch. But yeah. You're, you're putting them in two very different categories.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it, it works. I mean, that's probably something that most people would say, that that's probably not going to do what you want it to do, but they found a good combination. So they are... yeah. Um, I don't know what cold pressed does for the shell, but they're cold pressed shells, which is cool.
1: Yeah, I think, I know that DW was big on that because I remember when I was a DW artist, they had their shell presses and then those shells would come out and then go straight into the cold press. And they just said it really, really ensured that there was no warping ever.
0: Oh, okay, um, cool
1: without reinforcement hoops or anything like that so i think it just strengthens the the bond of the glue and everything might be talking out of my arse right now but i'm pretty sure that's what they said all i know is they were big on it (laughs) (laughs) you can almost hear it in my voice where i'm like it might be this or it could be that i have no clue what i'm talking about but i do remember when i was there like dw was huge on the cold press shell thing
0: yeah yeah, I mean I don't I can't even claim to even know. I know these drums sound good, they look good. I saw them at NAM show. They were they're definitely well made high end drums. They have thirty degree yeah. round over barren edges, kind of what you would expect on a vintage sound. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, their take on the classic fifties, sixties drum set sound. I love the floor tom leg mounts. You know, obviously,
1: going for maximum sustain on that. The the lugs themselves are just in extremely classic. Uh, so this has the single lug design, but it's spanning so much of the drum, especially on the kick and the floor tom, that I think um, it's it's just a really beautiful design. But the lugs themselves have almost that old Ludwig flange to them on the sides, but yeah. still maintaining a completely original shape that looks like its own thing. Cool, let's drop in some audio, huh? I was just going to (laughs) ask. So yeah, so those drums sound pretty much exactly what I said. It just sounds like they've been sitting in somebody's studio. That that kit, to me, sounds like what I remember when I first started doing the recording thing in my early 20s. And I'd go into a studio with my brand new shiny drum set, my shiny cymbals, and they'd be like, no, you're going to use that one. Yeah, like that wrecked, dusty thing. (laughs) And then we'd track, and I was like, yeah, it kind of sounds
0: amazing. Yeah, I feel like the... The birch is helping because mahogany. I love the sound of mahogany, but they can be a little kind of woofy, a lot of fluffy, yes. of fluffiness, yeah, absolutely. And I think the 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 birch is helping kind of bring that into focus and make it a little bit punchier. It's a nice combo. I always feel like if I somehow had to cover
1: a gig in Mumford and Sons, I'd get a mahogany kit. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and I just tell the singer, "You're not playing the bass drum tonight, buddy. <laughs> I am." <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: But yeah, this this can't imagine. Has, can you might have shown up to a gig and playing nothing but face drum. No, with no, a pedal. No, <laughs> nope.
1: I can't. <laughs> I just wouldn't. I shan't. Oh, I've maybe got too some much tambourine rhythm. on your yeah. left foot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. I would straight tell him I didn't.
0: I didn't work out of stick control for 20 years just so I could play with my bass drum, pal. Oh man, I played the, the gig uh, I played last weekend. Um, have we talked about that? I don't know if we have, but no, anyway, I was, I was subbing for Elliot Jacobson on this, this pop gig. A bunch of young singers were coming in and they all just played with a house band. Okay. And one of the songs, the whole song is just finger snaps the whole way through. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! I rehearsal. can't even imagine the look on your face. Well, no, it was rehearsal. I put my hand up. I was like, "Hey, uh, I'm not going to do that." So we got really to. Did you really say oh, that? Yeah. We didn't. I mean, it was never. It was kind of a joke. It was never. We were never going to do that. <sighs> but I could just see myself oh. on stage. Just. <laughs> I,
1: I. I could see that being your new profile oh. pic. Just the hatred <laughs> of like. I didn't get a degree. A master's <laughs> degree. Yeah. yeah, so I could snap on two and four. Oh, the irony. Uh, oh, good Peter, stuff. Peter, go that. back to your real-world job. <laughs> Do not. Peter, you're doing great, buddy. Super proud of you, man. All right, British Drum Company. These things sound amazing. Now, price-wise, we're looking at about three grand for the kit, uh, about 550 560 for the snare, 2400 yep. for kick, rack, and floor. So I think they're priced right where they should be. They... They sound fantastic. They look really cool. We didn't mention this. So this is, uh, Mike said it kind of has like a uh, shimmer finish. It's like a cream yeah. shimmer finish, very vintage, but then with these really cool matte-stained mahogany hoops <clears throat> that yep. just make this kit look classic. I could see a lot of current need for this kit when you're not only trying to sound good, but you're starting to gig out a lot. You're starting to tour with a specific band that has a
0: specific vibe. This kit just is all vibe. Yeah, totally. And And Steve is... Uh, the guy who reviewed this kid has a pretty discerning ear, and this is one he said, "Like I wish I didn't have to give it back. Like it just felt wow, it just felt right." That's to awesome him. to hear. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, everybody, we'll
1: check out the British Drum Company once again. That was called the Lounge Series drum set. It is now time to get to your questions. This is your chance to ask us anything you want, and we do everything we can to give you a somewhat decent answer.
0: <laughs> right, I'm gonna I'm gonna remind you again. The Black Swamp. Giveaway website, blackswamp.com, backslash md promo Again, the no excuse for you not to enter. Win this sucker. All right, so our first question comes from Eric. Uh, quick question about in-ears. I'm a singing drummer that plays local clubs of various sizes. When playing pop rock in the smaller rooms, I often find I can't hear my vocals and wondering if in-ears might be the answer. Large stages aren't usually a problem. It's a small clubs with small PAs. My question is about how well can you hear your drums and other instruments if you're wearing in-ears? Even though my drums are mic'd, they rarely run back through the monitors, and often it's the same for the other instruments. Uh, I can speak from my clinic experience at the Delaware Drum Show two weeks ago. I was planning to, you know, have my loop station set up. Yep. I couldn't have both ears in because it felt so detached. I had to have one ear out, so it was really kind of it was way too much isolation for me. All all I was hearing was the loop, and I couldn't actually hear my instrument. In the studio, I have no problem with that because I'm bringing a level of my drums back in. It sounds completely natural, but on a gig, yeah, yeah, I I wouldn't recommend it if you're not going to have the whole mix for me for me personally
1: yeah i mean like that's a great point if you have the whole mix go for it it's awesome when i do clinics uh i just do because i'm going straight out of my laptop so or straight out of one of the channels of my uh, di pretty much but if i have just my laptop going into my ears i'm air drumming pretty much yeah yeah right and so i always keep my left ear in which has my click and then the right ear out So that's one of the options. And I actually even uh, have the right ear is actually not attached to the cable. So it's not like flopping on my chest as I'm trying to play drums. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have that going on. Or uh, the other thing is I don't know about all the companies because I only work with Ultimate Ears, but I'm sure lots of companies do this. Ultimate Ears definitely offers uh, uh, like an ambient filter. So you can have one of your ears, uh, one of the in ears, drilled with an ambient filter that lets the ambient sound in while you still have your in ears in. So you could try that as well. Dig it.
0: Cool. I that helps. Next one is from David. Um, okay, I started playing drums less than a year ago at 30 years old. When nice. playing basic grooves or syncopations, I have no problem to have the kick on the click. But I noticed that when doing a drag on the uh. My kick placement is often off. Any advice on how to fix that? Uh, I'm going to say this is one of the most common problems for, for developing mm-hmm. drummers. Anything you do with your left-hand ghost note or on the E's and the uh's, it throws your kick drum off. I see it every single time. Yeah, I how totally you, agree. How do you get rid of it?
1: What would you do? I, I, well, first of all, I would slow the heck down slowing down is key because you need to understand that even those drags on the uh they are in an actual placement uh, I would also get rid of my downbeat metronome and I would jump my metronome straight to 16th so that I had the full grid there I'm and then I would be thinking that I'm not dragging and then playing a kick let's say that we're dragging on the uh of 4 and you have a kick on the 1 I'm I'm dragging into the kick so I'm like slowly buzzing into the kick the kick is going to land on the 1 no matter what yep. but I think that getting really used to slowing down one and a two and a three and a four and really really slowing it down to 40 50 bpm and put your metronome either on 16th or 8th at the minimum uh
0: really internalizing that grid would help what do you think yeah i mean i think you nailed it i think the the key point there is the bass drum is the most important thing Make your right. bass drum on the beat, regardless of what else you play, and then only think about making sure the bass drum is on the beat. And then the drag is just something that happens right before it. So if you're if you're yeah. thinking about the drag, your bass drum is going to be off. If you're thinking about the bass drum, who cares if the drag is early? Honestly, right? Who cares? Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> well,
1: and if if the drag is so loud that everyone hears that it's early, you played your drag too loud. Which yeah. in the first year of my drumming or the first decade of my drumming, yeah. I definitely of did. Course. You know, yeah. uh, to me, ghost notes were the notes that weren't too and four i didn't even know they were supposed to be quieter you know it's just like yeah right yeah i play a lot of ghost notes uh like uh smells like teen spirit those two ghost notes in the middle gang so so yeah so the key is just pulling back on the tempo really internalizing that grid of 16th notes make sure everything matches up you know it maybe if your groove swings then you get rid of the 16th and just go to eight uh but that grid is always there
0: and 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 like mike said the downbeat of the kick that's the important one all right, this last one is going to be is going to be tough. This is Dan from uh, England. I hear you guys talk about touch a lot on the drums, but have never been completely clear on the definition of this term and how to improve it. Now, here's the kicker: I rarely get the opportunity to play on a full kit. Is this something I could work on using a quiet practice setup? I have a Pearl Compact Traveler with mesh heads and some low volume hi hats.
1: well first of all yes you can practice touch but you're practicing touch you're practicing the touch that works on that acoustic kit with the low volume cymbals and the traveler heads which is not the same touch that's going to translate directly to your drum set so that would be just like having a, a pianist practice their touch on a keyboard they'll develop great keyboard touch but it won't directly translate to the piano and they'll it, you know will help it's better than nothing no doubt about that but there will be an adjustment period i think the biggest adjustment period i don't know if it's the touch of your body it's your ears handling how much louder drums are than mm. pads and everything else that you've been practicing your touch on
0: yeah i mean i think to define touch it, it's as simple as the sound you make when your sticks hit something that's your yes. touch but i think when we when we talk about it in the context of like quote unquote professional drumming I think it's controlling your touch to get the exact sound that you hear in your head to come out of the instrument rather than right. I'm just moving my hands and I'm hitting the drums and whatever comes out comes out you know like what's the sound quality that you want your snare drum to have your hi-hats to have your ride cymbal to have your toms to have and then translating that so you have a cohesive sound so I, I think if a drummer has good touch their, their sound is very pleasant and cohesive and it's it's
1: situational, right? I mean, we yeah. don't want necessarily, not that he couldn't do it, but we don't want Jim Keltner playing in the Foo Fighters next week because yeah. the touch that Taylor has is the Foo
0: Fighters touch that's necessary to make that band rock. And he and does then, have good touch. I think that's a great example. Even though he's yeah. playing in the upper level Agreed. dynamics, I think you would still say that the sound he produces on the drum kit is very pleasing. It's loud, it, but it's very
1: pleasing. Right. And, and it's appropriate. I mean, that's what I'm always looking for out of my students. I don't care if you're loud. I don't care if you're too quiet or if you're quiet. I just care that you're appropriate for whatever you're playing along to. Then there's the other side of touch, which is, okay, now we're void of music. You're just playing drums. Is it pleasing to the people that are five feet in front of you? Yeah. And I think yeah. that people that have – you know, uh, Dave Dicenzo, that dude can hit as hard as anyone in the world, but you feel like you could sit around – uh, in a circle around his kit and listen to him play because yeah. he's got great touch and he'll adjust it for the fact that there's a bunch of people five feet in front of him and he has the ability to do that. Yeah. Control, I think, is the thing that you mentioned that really sticks out to me. Practicing your control on that practice kit is going to be key. Even doing like... Uh, trading fours with yourself four bars of improv at pianissimo and four bars of improv at fortissimo and just can you control your dynamics
0: in general yeah. and then that will translate to a drum set and i think when you're playing quietly not having it sound wimpy and when you're playing loud not have it sound like ham-fisted can you can you make quiet playing yeah. sound intense and articulate can you make loud playing sound relaxed and full I think that's where you're going to discover touch. And uh, the other thing, this is something I stole from Juliana, is like do an inventory of sounds. Like, can you make your hi hats sound lush? Can you make your hi hats sound super sharp? Can you make your snare drums sound full or really tight? I mean, you can do all of that with your hands, which is with your touch.
1: And think about it like this. If if I just swapped out your hi-hats and said, can you make this hardcover book sound lush? Can you make it sound tight? Yes, you absolutely can. Right, yeah. Uh, Because you and I have had to practice probably a good deal of our time in places where there was no drum set. Maybe it was hotel rooms or a dorm room or whatever, but a lot of times it was like, well... I have to practice. I can't get around that. I need real. to get my hours in today, and I don't have access to a drum set. I, I practice the most right now at home on a real kit, but I have the Aquarian Super Pads over the whole kit, and I am constantly working on my touch on that kit. But in my mind, I'm just completely representing. I'm literally hitting everything, thinking, "What would that be on a real tom?" Yeah. Okay. That was that velocity was a little silly for a, if that would have been a real
0: 12 inch tom yeah yeah you know, yeah i think uh, we're yeah i think we're I think we're just circling around the answer. For me, it's about having the sound in your mind that you want to produce and then actually yes. producing it. <laughs> Let's stop there. I, that's what I meant to say. That's what I'm doing when I'm on the
1: kit. Yeah, I, you're I'm imagining what it, it. sounds it. like, yes. and
0: then you're just, what would my body need to do to give me the sound that I'm hearing in my head? I'm fired up right now. <laughs> I can't wait to practice. All right. Thank it's you for your good. questions. You can send them in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Um, it's time for our picks of the week. Boom! All right, so I want to go first because this might take a minute for us to dig through. Uh, I don't know why I decided to listen to the Sting album Mercury Falling. I haven't checked it out in several years. It's one of my all-time favorite albums. I think it's one of Sting's best albums that probably goes forgotten, but it has the great Vinnie Colaiuta on drums, and as usual, he is a master. Uh, But in particular, the first eight measures of the opening track, I feel, might be some of the most creative, yet tasteful, yet musical, yet sneaky drumming I've ever heard. So let's check out the first eight bars of Hounds of Winter.
1: Just tell me one thing that sticks out to you before we
0: attack the whole track. Okay. For me, it's the fact that he doesn't let a measure go by with some sort of uh, embellishment, some slight embellishment. It's either with the right hand, the snare drum, the bass drum. He kind of does it. At one point, each limb has its moment to do something. So it's not a loop. It's not a loop. Even
1: though the groove is there, um, there's a little bit of that. Okay. First thing, that, uh, or one thing that sticks out to me. Who the hell gets away with playing the bell as their ride in a pop tune? King, king, king!
0: But it sounds so good. I know it like mixes with the acoustic guitar like perfectly. It's it's so frustrating. False. I wonder All if right. he went through his whole catalog of cymbals like that's the one, or, or just oh, always had perfect. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, like just like his cross stick. or it's yeah. like come
1: on. There's now,
0: n- now we're talking about touch. I think that is some of. the. I mean that's perfect touch for me. Everything about it—it's confident, it's powerful, it's clean, it's musical, it's tasteful, it's dynamic, it's everything. Seems like you're a fan. A so bit. <laughs> to the to the touch aspect and the
1: embellishment aspect, the embellishments are never as loud as the groove. Yeah, they're subtle,
0: like that little splash to the crash Oof. thing. Yeah, and Wh- that—I mean, let's l- listen to it again. I'm not sure how he even does it because he somehow does a splash to a crash, but. I don't know which hands on which.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's not just it's not the splash straight
0: to the crash. It's it's a sippitch. He does. Sip-a-ch. Yeah, it's a splash to a crash and a snare drum. So what yeah. is, what's the sticking for that? Come on, Vince. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it.
1: Now. The other thing that I think sticks out to me in this, because it's the thing that was the biggest lesson for me back in the day when I first had this album, and this happens on a few of Phil's solo albums, is not crashing into a verse. Yeah. Fill down into the verse, don't fill up into the verse. You know, because when we first learned drum fills, almost all of them are fairly explosive fills that always end with a crash on the one. Yeah. But he's got that big flam fill, leaves some space, brings the subdivisions down. It's almost like it's almost like a Harley Davidson coming to a stoplight.
0: Yeah. Climb. Yeah. And the fact that he yeah. he play he doesn't play all the sixteenth notes leading in, it's like on the E and mean. on four, and that's it. Starts pulling those <laughs> subdivisions back, right? And you, the use of
1: subdivisions is a way that people can create excitement or bring the mood down. Take some subdivisions out, you know, start. If you go sixteenths to eighths to quarter, flat, do, 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 do cat. You're going, you're not going to do that going into the chorus, right? Yeah. Like, sorry about everything you <laughs> did to do chorus. Like that's not going to happen, but it's a great way to get into a verse. <laughs> Amazing. You know? So yeah, oh, so goodness. I, I love this thing. And I think that, I don't know if I would have really dug into those eight bars without you bringing it up earlier today when we were talking before the podcast. But when you hear it, it's just like that does kind of represent everything that makes Vinny stand out as a pop drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Is it doesn't sound like a fusion guy playing a pop tune, but it doesn't sound like a pop guy would even know how to do this.
0: No, I mean, it's clear that you're dealing with one of the best drummers on earth, even though he's playing some of the fewest, the simplest ideas. It's just a concept and the way he weaves it. The whole track to me, I think, is a masterpiece. So the way he uses the bass drum at times that just deviate a little bit. It's like, I think all of us would go two steps too far. And all of a sudden you become that drummer where the singer's like, hey man, chill out with the diddles, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well that's
1: another thing that I would love to know about all the sessions that Vinny's played on with Sting is how much is Sting involved and how much is Sting just sitting back going like, Uh, My drummer is amazing. Right. You know, and because if you think about who Sting has had the opportunity to play with between Omar, obviously Stuart Copeland, Vinny, uh, Manu. Yeah, it's 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 just kind of silly. So recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, gosh, that must be so exciting for Sting to just have that energy behind him now with Josh.
0: Um, with with still all the skill, So, fantastic. So, yeah, check out the whole album. It's called Mercury Falling if you haven't listened to it. It's perfect for March if you live on the East Coast and you're depressed as well. (laughs) All right. Well, my pick of the week is measure 7 through 16 on
1: Hounds of Winter. I want to listen to what I think is the best eight bars ever. No, I I think we went through that thing enough. That's a great pick for both of us, and I couldn't agree more with that as our pick of the week. So, our first ever joint pick of the week. Check it out. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for all the support you guys give us. If you get a chance, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. That's how other drummers find this podcast. You can keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at drummer.com And you're more than welcome to send audio questions as well. And you can also send us recommendations if you wish... The podcast was slightly different This is something that is definitely a drum industry thing It became a little bit bigger than Mike and I ever anticipated And we are doing this for you And for the industry in general
0: So if there's something you want different, let us know Dig it, so don't forget Enter the Dynamic Snare Drum Giveaway Blackswamp.com Backslash promo, uh, And we're going to send it out with Andrew Bennett's beat This is um, He threw some slow course effect on the track and some delay and some reverbs all kinds of effects and cool stuff let's check it out he's got a Tama Silver Star bass drum SLP Babinga snare some Sabian cymbals let's check it out Andrew and that's it see you next week later buddy